Well, that is Anna Coddington with Aho and Beams. There's a really beautiful Te Reo Māori version of that song as well. Uh, you are listening to the panel on RNZ National, and you might have seen Anna's been in the news today. Uh, she, her partner and children all paying tribute after being rescued from Auckland floods by neighbours. Uh, there was a report on stuff that they were helped from a second-storey window by a local doctor who kayaked over a fence and through trees to get to them during that record rainfall that Auckland has been seeing. And Anna's partner, uh, musician Dick Johnson, had to smash a window to get her and their nine- and six-year-old sons out to safety. There have been some pretty extraordinary stories, and that seems to be another one. I think these are going to come and come, aren't they, Heather? Mm, they are. And some of the pictures that we've been seeing uh, coming out of Auckland have been quite extraordinary, although I have to say... I was tempted, and someone else in the office did say, maybe you should play something by that 1980s group, the Drongos, today, <laughs> in honour of uh, a certain text message that was made public. But anyway, we went with Anna Coddington. It's a really beautiful song, and certainly check out that Tereo version as well. Uh, it is really beautiful. Now, it is 22 minutes to five on RNZ National, um, and of course... With the flooding in Auckland, uh, it means that for yet another year, Auckland schools are being disrupted. Uh, coming, of course, on the back of those multiple COVID closures since 2020. Now, some schools, of course, have been flooded themselves. Uh, but also this is to help minimise the traffic on the roads while they're cleared and the repairs are getting underway. So let's talk about this further on the panel with Tina Peters, Deputy Chair of the PPTA, Tamaki Makaurau, who is joining the panel. Kia ora, Tina. Kia ora, Susie. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. But um, I have to say, I, I uh, became the parent of a high school uh, child this morning, uh, going to his uh, pōwhiri, um, which was pretty special. But for many schools, of course, they would be going back this week, but not so in Auckland. What is the situation like for teachers, but also for, for parents and for students? Oh, absolutely. So we, we were surprised about the announcement, but completely understand the reasoning behind it. Um, our main concern is just making sure our, our kids and our tamariki and Toda are ready to start the year. And, and like you said, we've gone from being tamaki Makovid to tamaki Makoko. So it's gone from, you know, <laughs> disease to, to water. Um, yeah, and, and like you said, we, we had poor footy planned for this week. We had year nines coming in, um, their inductions, peer support groups, prefects planning mm. and it has been pushed back and, and, it, and it's, it's hard. It's sad to, to kind of push back on the parents and also, you know, on the children. And I'm the mother as well of a, a student who's sitting NCA level one this year. And so my, my, my heart kind of like, you know, and you just, you know, but I, I guess it's been a really, a really big test of resilience for Kaiako, Toyota, the whānau, mm. the community and, and schools in large around here. Yeah. What are schools going to put in place? Because, I mean, this is about not not sort of physically going into the school buildings. Um, so are some schools standing up distance learning or online learning, anything like that? Or is it just like nothing until, um, you know, until next week now? Well, I guess it's, it's, it depends where your school is at, what the conditions are of the school mm. and how, how that your first couple of weeks looks. So for us, I mean, we had a teachers only day today, so that was a good chance for us to catch up on Zooms with our um, other departments, our deans, and work through what it would look like. Um, it also means that we we will it will be um, a more jagged start to the year. Mm. But I guess in the um, in the frame of things that are happening at the moment, it's one of the wiser decisions that's been made in Auckland lately. So yeah, um, yeah, a lot more is on Zoom. 
uh, teaching and just contacting parents and students and making sure they're okay. Nonetheless, though, what is what is the impact, um, you know, for this generation of children that are going through, you know, for the tamariki that are having their education disrupted year after year after year, it seems now? Yeah, definitely. Um, as, as, a, as a real test of their resilience, I guess, would be my positive spin on that. Um, on the other side of it, you know, it is it is chopping and changing. It is developing at, at slower or, or like delayed social contexts. Um, for I guess in this situation, because the first week is more about the planning and the induction, it's not a huge disruption like the the twelve weeks that we had a couple of years ago of COVID. Um, and I, I think some and to some extent, I think some of the kids are coming through, and they're they're a lot more adaptable I guess to some extent you know um, mm. yeah so it, it, there is there is an effect and, and as for teachers I mean our houses are flooding too a, a lot of teachers I've heard from have family living with them and also kids going to school so it's, it's, it's a huge effect on everybody on, on all walks of life really um, absolutely yeah, another one, of, one of those things we have to get through Sure. Hey, Johnny, uh, Johnny O'Donnell, I'll bring you in um, on this. I mean, mm. the sort of situation that, um, that you know, that children and parents are trying to deal with in Auckland must be incredibly hard. And something like this, you know, what do you anticipate Fano being able to, um, you know, being able to hold it all together in a situation like this? Mm. Yeah, look, it must be incredibly stressful on the schools and on the families. I always think in these situations, and I thought the same during the COVID restrictions, you know, children are very adaptable, uh, and I imagine mm. most kids will navigate this type of disruption quite okay. The ones that always come to mind for me are uh, the ones who, for home safe, you know, uh, their homes are not actually a safe place. Um, mm. And I think about the you know, schools are often refuge for those kids. Uh, they're a safe place to go. Uh, and when that um, safety net kind of drops away, I think that, um, yeah, that, uh, that must be incredibly challenging for those children. So that's where my mind goes in these circumstances. Mm, yeah, really stressful situation for a lot of people, Heather. Yeah, hard for everybody. And it was interesting to hear Tina talk about the jagged start to the year. That's exactly what it is, but for yet another time. And I think kids are resilient, mm. um, but resilient to a point. And I think some cope really well and some really don't. They need the routines and they need to be at school and their parents need to be able to plan. And interesting to see um, Iona Halstead, the Secretary for Education, apologising for the poor community communication there too because mm. it was will schools be open will they not be that's really hard for a lot of families to cope with particularly as Johnny's just pointed out quite rightly some of those people being at home is harder than being at school mm. so yeah, mm. tough for everybody yeah absolutely and Tina coming back to you on this you know it is that that point of you know the resilience is is high but also we are hearing more and more about you know anxiety levels in um, in children rising and something like this where so many people's homes and schools you know their 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 world is impacted yeah. so much this is mm. this is really hard for a lot of kids yeah there's definitely been a rise in you know some of those uh social issues anxiety coming through from covid that we've seen come through schools and i it, it's um it's just one of like trying to build that resilience and help push those kids through is, is quite not tiring, but it's uh, exhausting to some extent for teachers. Mm. Um, but we we see that it, it's definitely one of those soft skills that need more focus on as we as we I don't know go through the education system and, and look at what our kids need in the, in a changing world, the kind of world that we've got right now. Mm. 
Yeah. What kind of resources, what kind of um, help will schools and will um, Fano and, and students need in this circumstance? That you know, what sort of things do you think you'll be able to to point people towards or, or provide? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm not too sure if I'm far enough up the chain to answer that. But I mean, it comes down to connection. I mean, honestly, in all of this, if you can build a community and 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 really tighten it. You know, you've got all those facets that that, that child experiences in the education and, and and having that open dialogue so that we can all come through and support the child. Um, and, and, and too, we've had parents and in the past and, and looking at mechanisms to help cope with certain things, you know, if it's just going to classes and, and, and dealing with, you know, the learning and the pressures of exams. I mean, last year it was the first time some students had sat exams in three years. So it, it's just... Mm-hmm. Being able to buffer and pick up that extra, which again is on top of what we do is, as well as teaching content and teaching our subject areas. But yeah, it's just being able to support that student that way. Absolutely. Well, do uh, let us know what you think on this one. You know, is this a good idea for schools to be having this staggered start to the year yet again? 2101 to get in touch with us here uh, at RNZ National. So, of course, loving to hear, yeah, loving to see the, the various ones that are coming in about Chateau Tongarero. Um, some people saying, oh, they got married there back in 2016 and what a beautiful place it was. A little bit like The Shining, I always used to think. In a, in a good way. In a good way, though, I say that. 13 minutes to five. Uh, we should just give a quick correction uh, while we're here. Um, EpiPen cost, uh, we were talking about there, um, 200-ish dollars often they were. Uh, that price, um, a little bit variable around, I don't know if it was around mm. the countryside or around different pharmacies, but certainly a lot of money that, that people were having to pay out that uh, indeed, thanks to Pharmac, uh, that is not something that people are having to do anymore. Now, uh, let's check in. Again, on the situation with the weather, many places cut off because of those slips, because of the extreme weather that is uh, doing the rounds again. Uh, the slip on the Kopu Hikuai uh, means many places on the Coromandel Peninsula will take an extra hour to get to the nearest hospital. And of course, it's already pretty remote. What, though, does that extra hour mean if you're in need? Uh, and joining the panel now, Dave Richards. Hatohone, uh, St John General Manager, uh, Ambulance Operations and National Controller. Kia ora, Dave. Kia ora. Thanks for being with us on this one. Um, what is it like, what is it going to be like uh, for ambulance services without being able to take this route? We've added additional resources in the impacted areas. Um, we had additional summer resource in Fidianga and Coromandel which we're continuing during this weather event and will continue for the rest of the summer season. We've deployed additional critical care paramedics in a four-wheel drive vehicle uh, to the areas to provide additional clinical support. And we also have additional clinical support in our clinical control centres that will provide clinical support to our staff and clinical telephone advice over the phone to patients. Uh, We also have an additional uh, all-wheel drive first response unit uh, to enable improved access to patients at this time. Indeed. And I mean, it's great that you're able to um, put those additional capabilities in. But nonetheless, um, the situation for people now who may have to be trying to move around to get from one place to another, perhaps for um, you know hospital appointments, for cancer treatment, for that kind of thing. A lot of medical conditions as well, um, like strokes or heart attacks, you know, time is of the essence. What is this? Uh, what is this going to do? to some of those situations? Does it make it more precarious? 
Well, alongside our transporting ambulance resource, we also work in partnership with heli providers, including Westpac, to provide timely transport to hospitals when there's a clinical need. And we also have our all-wheel drive ambulances in strategic locations for stroke patients where there is a need for clock retrieval. The BAU pathway would be to transport to Auckland uh, Hospital, and that would be done by um, heli normally anyway, so that won't change for um, STEMI patients, which is um, patients with a serious heart attack, our paramedics and our critical care critical care paramedics can uh, thrombolise at the scene, and so that reduces the need for quick transport to hospital as well. How long are you going to be able to keep these additional resources in place? Um, because clearly, you know, Coromandel often is uh, impacted by these events. This is not the first time this season. Um, you know, it's it's got to be a long view, really, hasn't it? At this stage, we've got additional, um, a lot of additional resource for the next three days with this weather event. We have got that additional summer resource that we had in place that will continue for the, the month of February in Fittyang and Coromandel. And we will we will look ahead as we get more um, information on the roads and assess in terms of do we still need more resource further out as well to help mitigate any of the impacts that the um, roads may cause. So what about the Westpac helicopter? Because um, there used to be one, I think, that was located on Coromandel up until about 2020, but that was taken away. Is that something that needs to be reinstated? Um, That would be a question for the Westpac. I mean, they still provide a very timely response from Auckland um, to across to the Coromandel. Mm. Absolutely. Heather, what do you think? Is it time for another Westpac helicopter to be on Coromandel? Well, that was a diplomatic answer from Dave. Sure was. (laughs) Well done, Dave. (laughs) Yeah, probably it is. I mean, I think we need to think about our emergency services in emerging ways now. Um, There's all sorts, you know, we've had uh, the events in uh, Marlborough and Nelson over the last two winters where roads have been washed out, similar sorts of issues are rising. And Mm. these things um, are becoming a, a little more common. So I think we need to think about emergency services um, in that emerging way um, and the golden hour you know it's really important often to get to a centre of um, of medical care a centre of excellence in that hour and how, how do you cope with that so people like David are on the ground doing a great job and it was really good to hear his optimism but it must be tough to try and negotiate all of these interrupted services that they've got. Yeah, absolutely. Johnny, your perspective, because of course, uh, you know, as Heather's talking about there, um, State Highway 6, of course, was knocked out for so many months mm. just uh, in the last, well, in the last few months at the end of last year. Yeah, mm, yeah absolutely. And I think uh, during those August events in, in Nelson, we also had just the roading network was um, so badly damaged um, that there were massive delays. And I know I live up by Nelson Hospital. I know that caused massive issues then. So uh, that, that stress on the system is pretty evident. I also can fully appreciate this as someone who's had a few trips in uh, the back of ambulances and one for a perforated bowel, which was very time sensitive uh, and so I can I can fully appreciate um, how much you know mm. a little bit of an additional commute time or even a lot uh, can be a huge stress particularly on you know, elderly and vulnerable people so yeah I can completely understand it. Yeah it absolutely is something that's really critical and uh, I mean if you're hopefully you're still on the line Dave um, the situation for paramedics are there um, you know like you're saying there are these um, further additional resources that you have in place what advice would you give to people if they they do feel that they do need the emergency services? Um, is the best thing still just to ring 111 as normal? In case of emergency, always mm. call 111. And I'd like to just add as well that we also have our partners, our prime partners, 
uh, where we have specifically trained nurses and GPs in rural areas that also co-respond with us as well. And we have a number in the Coromandel. What kind of support are they able to give? Just talk us through some of that. Um, so they are they are nurses and GPs, so they're trained uh, specifically to um, respond and they can provide their, their nurse and, and GP skills as well to help support um, our paramedics on the scene. Mm. Well, fantastic. Well, that's good to know for people, certainly, who are in that situation. Thank you very much for your time and for coming on the panel. Dave Richards there, Hone from St John, uh, the National Controller there and General Manager of Ambulance Operations. Now, it is six minutes to five. Of course, Lisa Owen standing by with Checkpoint coming up shortly. But, of course, cell phones, laptops, an absolute communication lifeline, especially in, for example, a flooding emergency... Most of them, however, not too keen on water. Uh, Techspert Henderson have opened their doors to fix devices damaged by water in the flood for free. They've been volunteering their time. Uh, they're rather too busy to talk, though. But someone else who has been working round the clock to give advice to those with damaged phones. Customer champion with Vodafone's uh, St Luke's store, um, Louis Decker. Hi there. Kia ora. Hi, hi, how's it going? Uh, going well here. I have to say, though, I'm in Wellington and it's nice and dry. But what has the situation been like for you? What kinds of stories have you been hearing, things you've been seeing? Um, well, yeah, yeah, definitely an increase in the amount of customers coming in with, um, like, damaged hardware recently. Um, a lot of distraught people, obviously, like, not only having their homes destroyed, but um, losing connection with family. It's uh, It's a hard time for a lot of people. Really difficult. And, of mm. course, um, for a lot of people, there's the issue with cell phones, but, of course, also stuff like your, your Wi-Fi modem, just certainly at my house, they're on the floor or quite near the floor, which, yeah, I don't yeah, know, exactly. do a lot of people do that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, typically, like, your, your Wi-Fi modem and your ONC box, they're, they're usually situated somewhere low in your house. Um, so they're, they're typically very, very vulnerable to situations like these. Um, so yeah, we have had a lot of people come in. We're replacing um, modems and phones in and out. What is the best thing you can do if your phone has got water damage or if it's ended up falling into the water? Do you put it in rice? Is that a thing? Um, so, yeah, yeah, that does seem to become um, what's sort of, I'd be like common knowledge would be to put it in the rice. Um, but it is actually like it can be a little bit more harmful than it can be useful sometimes. Um, with the, the rice, the, the problem with placing it in there is that it does absorb the water. Um, mm. But whilst it does that, it actually exposes it to like starch and a little bit of dust and all that sort of thing, which can actually damage your phone further. Um, what, what we actually recommend, if you can manage it, is um, to use the, the silica gels. Um, you might be able to find them commonly in like shoe boxes. Um, they are designed to like absorb moisture from the air. If you have those lying around your house and you can place your phone in, in, into a container with those, um, that's the ideal scenario. But if you don't have those, I'd recommend wrapping your phone in a paper towel before placing it in the rice. That's just going to give it like a little extra barrier of protection from any dust particles that you might absorb. Are phones, I mean, how resistant are they to the water? I mean, are they able to kind of withstand any kind of water damage and, and come back or, you know? Yeah, well, that's that's a great question. Um, so with phones, they, they actually have a rating. Um, so it's an IP rating. Um, the IP ratings, are, it rates whether it's a dust resistant and water resistant. So typically, like our, our latest devices from like the 12, uh, iPhone 12 upwards and the Samsung range, I think from the, the S20 upwards, 
all have an IP rating of IP68. Um, so that what that means is that the mm. first number, the six, is a, a rating of how much dust it can handle, and the second number is uh, how much water it can handle. So IP68 is uh, about an hour of um, exposure to water in mm. a depth of about one and a half meter. Um, but if you look up your model um, of device, whichever you have, and just look up the water rating, you can have a look through there and just see how resistant and how safe it is in those conditions. Oh, some good advice there. Thank yeah. you very much, uh, Louis Decker there uh, from Vodafone St. Luke's or from the store at St. Luke's. Um, Heather, uh, this is a bit of a, well, it reminds us a bit about how dependent we are on our phones now. Yeah, it for, does, for doesn't We're lost without them. And lots of people yeah. don't have landlines now as well now. No, that's yeah. right. I didn't know about the ratings, actually. That was news to me, so I'm going to go home to look that up. But um, I did know about the silicone gel sachets. And that's apparently, a great tip. Yes, no, a friend told me today that what we should be doing is every time you have, you know, just about everything comes with a few of those, you're supposed to take them out and put them in a place so that when you drop your phone into the toilet, which apparently is a very common occurrence that insurance Mm -hmm. agents tell us, um, you take those out and put them all in a bag together. There Mm. you go, there you go. Johnny, um, got to keep your phone charged at these times (laughs) in case you need it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, look, they were great tips. I really enjoyed that. I didn't Mm. know about the silicon gels. And actually, I've got moisture levels detected in my phone at the moment. Um, But I haven't, uh, it's been a particularly wet few days down here as well. Uh, (laughs) But I haven't done anything about it. So I'm going to go and try and find myself a silicon gel. It's also a great idea to reuse those. That's, um, uh, I appreciate that. Absolutely. Mm. Lots (laughs) of you getting in touch as well about the Chateau. This one saying, so sad, can it be renovated and taken over by the government? Surely it is. (laughs) A national treasure and lots of you loving hearing Eleanor's stories about um, the chateau. My wife and I got married at the chateau in front of that window. No explosions, though, says Robert and Marie. You have been listening to the panel. Thank you very much, Heather Roy and Johnny O'Donnell. Kaki te ano.